I'm Andy O'Brien. I'm a, a founder and a co-director of Bristol Energy Cooperative. And I'm Chris Speller. I'm, I'm another co-director of Bristol Energy Co-op. So can you tell us, for the uninitiated, what is the Bristol Energy Co-op? Bristol Energy Co-op is a, a not-for-profit business that was set up uh, over five years ago with the primary aim of speeding out, speeding up the, um, the rollout of a uh, more sustainable way of doing energy, particularly you know, energy generation. And that's our primary aim. We, we also saw great opportunities on the back of that to um, you know, address the, the localism sort of a challenge. And so we, we are an absolutely fundamental part of what we do is to engage as much locally and to recycle benefits locally. And there's a number of ways we do that. When we fit solar on community buildings, the buildings get cheaper and greener electricity. Yeah, local people can obviously invest in what we do. And we've set up a community fund that will sort of cross-subsidise other, uh, other energy projects and indeed sort of community projects more generally. You're hopefully nearing the end of, a, of an extremely ambitious crowdfunding or investment drive. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so this is for uh, uh, about £10.5 million pounds and uh, it's for a portfolio of solar projects. Two of those are solar farms. Uh, so one is an existing solar farm uh, in Somerset and the uh, other other solar farm is not built yet. Well, it's actually under construction as we speak uh, and that's in, in Lawrence Weston in Bristol near the docks. And then alongside the uh, the two solar farms there's a, a portfolio of installations on uh, more, more community buildings similar to, to what we did in our, our first two share offers. So put all that together and it's about £10.5 million. This is actually our, our, our third fundraise. So the, the first share offer we ran was back in 2012, uh, and that raised about, I can't remember now, about 125,000. Okay. Uh, and that gave us the money to install on three, three community roofs. Uh, and then we did a similar second solar fundraise of about the same amount. And then we were looking to do a, a larger one about oof, 18 months, two years ago. But in the end, the projects didn't quite come come off. Uh, but that would have been sort of in between, I suppose, our, our first and second share offers and what we're doing now. Uh, and so what we ended up doing is just things have changed a little bit in, in the in the solar space. So it, it allowed us to sort of jump up a little notch further and do slightly larger projects this time round. When you say things have changed in the solar space, I mean, I suppose for, for a lot of people... <clears throat> who are interested in, in transition. And, you know, we just published a book called 21 Stories of Transition where we looked at a lot of community energy projects that have come through transition groups. The cuts to the to the feed-in tariff that happened last year sort of hit a lot of those projects very, very hard. That, that model that you install solar PV and then you uh, claim the tariff and you recycle that back into community projects, for many people seems to be sort of considered uh, over at this stage and a, and a reason for scaling back you seem to have gone the other way in response to that what's what, what's the thinking there well what we've done we've managed to uh pre-accredit the, the schemes in the in this current fundraise so that means we 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 lock into the the feed-in tariff rate that's actually in place at the time you apply for that pre-accreditation so we did that back in uh august last year yeah 
And so that, that gives it that basically because we're a community organization that basically gives us a year to build these projects out uh, at the feed in tariff rate that was in place back in, 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 in last, last year. Uh, but if we don't build them out in that time, then yeah, the current feed in tariff rate won't, wouldn't be viable really, wouldn't make our projects viable. And Andy makes that sound quite considered, but in fact, the series of changes in government sort of policy were really quite rapid in last autumn, and we had to move very quickly uh, and were essentially being opportunistic in mopping up as many of the last sort of feeding tariffs on, on projects that we, we could um, you know, potentially build out. So it was, a, it was a slightly bigger step up than we would have planned for, but as I say, it was opportunistic to try and make the most of, of this uh, pre, pre-accreditation. So if you, uh, if you raise the full amount and you're able to install the whole suite of projects that, that you want to, what, what next? I mean, what's your sense of the, the landscape that community energy finds itself in post-cut? Post Are there projects that you would do differently or what, what, what's your sense of the, the future of it? I think in the, the very short term, I suppose the next 12, 18 months, it may be a question of, say, acquiring other sites that, that are already built out that maybe a developer wants to sell, uh, because those projects would have the, the feed-in tariff that was in place uh, when that was constructed. So that that still makes it sort of a, a decent project in terms of return. Uh, and there are quite a, quite a few developers who, who want to sell. And some developers just work on that method anyway. They build out, sell, then use the profits to do the next development. And then uh, there are other other developers, quite a few foreign developers, who are actually leaving the market because the, you know, they're not seeing the government being that supportive towards renewables, so they're actually sort of selling off their portfolio. So there's those sort of opportunities uh, and also there are other projects where you may get equity investors who typically invest, say, three years uh, and then recoup their profits and then go to the next project. So it's a, it's a sort of a large scale. Those, those sorts of projects are around, but that's it's not necessarily where we saw ourselves going, say, a few months ago or a year ago. I think you know, we, we prefer really to be doing to be doing new things rather than necessarily taking over the projects. I guess a lot of people who have been involved with community energy projects would would find the idea of setting out to raise ten and a half million pounds so mm-hmm. overwhelming and daunting that they wouldn't even get started. Uh, how have you done that? That's an enormous amount of money. How how have you managed to to do that? What's been your approach? Uh it's a mixture of things, really. I mean, because we have been going since 2005, we've, we've had chance... Sorry, what did I say? 2005? 2011. Sometimes it feels like 2005. <laughs> since we've been going since 2011, I think, when we formally set up the, the co-op. That's quite a long time. So you know, we've done the two share offers, and so we've learned quite a lot of the tech, technical aspects of installing panels and raising the finance, and also worked with lots of partners and what we've managed to do here is, is extend those relationships with the partners so with this current fundraise uh, about two and a half thousand sorry I'm getting the numbers all wrong here about two and a half million 
has come in from sort of the public through sort of share offers and bond offers. Uh, and then the rest is coming in through uh, through loans. So from uh, example, Triodos Bank have loaned to us and Close Brothers, uh, Bristol City Council and also Social and Sustainable Capital. And those relationships with, say, with Triodos, obviously it helps that Triodos is based in Bristol. Uh, and the council, you know, we've had a, a long relationship with some of the first buildings that we installed the solar on were on council building so it's meant that we've been able to develop that that relation those relationships and extend them and, and it's, it's helped us to scale up and also I suppose I think it helps you know, with us being last year Bristol was the European Green Capital it felt right to us to, to be ambitious and, and challenge the city really to to help us reach those totals it does it, it. it does feel from the outside like there's something very interesting happening in Bristol in terms of the different sort of, like you said, you know, that thing of taking the challenge and stepping it up. You know, there's the Bristol Pound and lots of big local food things and it seems to be like the council are very supportive and it feels like a, a city that is increasingly defining itself by, uh, by some of those things. Does it feel like that on the inside? varies doesn't it? it it can do it certainly can do but we we're not immune for, for a lot of the frustrations in doing these sort of projects for sure it's interesting because we're so engrossed in it sometimes we i think we tend to think that everybody else in bristol knows about what we're doing well it's an actual fact i think those people still don't know what we're doing i suppose you know the, the, the legacy of the, of the green capital the, the fact they they Getting the green capital status in the first place was as a, as one of the as a, as a result of not not necessarily things that the city has done, but the city the things that the city was planning to do and the ambition that the city has. So, because those things again were in place, it just helps to keep building on it. It's a bit like you know you guys in Totnes, you know, you've been doing it for for a good number of years, and some of the projects that you're doing now are no doubt based on people you got to know five years ago and gently um, built a relationship with. And uh, you mentioned before about, about transition. Is there, is there a sense, does the Bristol Energy Co-op have any overlap with Transition Bristol or is there any sense in which the transition uh, a sort of world has, has influenced what you do and how you do it? Like very much so. I mean, I was inspired to set up the co-op when I attended a, a transition uh, meeting in Bristol, which actually you spoke at, Rob, uh, along with people like uh, Jeremy Leggett from Solar Century and mm. all sorts of people, and that was I, a great event, wasn't it? It was, it was, and I didn't. I was, I was quite new to this environment at that time. It was only sort of two years later when I sort of found the old program. I looked at all these names of the speakers. I thought, crumbs, they got a good speaker list that day. You know, some of the some of the expertise. I think that's just helped developed so many areas so whether it's it is the food network or whether it's the bristol pound or bristol energy co-op or bristol green doors there are so many initiatives which i can remember there were, there were maybe for a year after that initial meeting there were sort of almost like a monthly fairly open space meeting where people came along and checked out ideas and various things spun out of that in some ways i think it's done what what the transition thing originally set out to do isn't it that you, you almost had that initial steering group who almost the idea is almost like put themselves out of business mm-hmm. they bring the idea forward and then other people 
take up things and run with them and they grow and it and, it, and it's not sort of centrally controlled and i think that's what's what's happening in, in in bristol so i'm not really that aware funny enough right now what transition bristol are doing because i think the various members whatever membership means they're all involved in say the community farm or the trust or, or whatever so it's 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 a, lo- it's a lovely organic process where things are just just growing. And if you, uh, I suppose, my last question would be: if you had any advice for people in transition groups in other places who, or in any kind of group, thinking, "Yeah, God, that's amazing what they're doing in Bristol. We'd like to have a go and see if we can do that here." What would your advice be to them? Well, we've been very fortunate that just as we, uh, well, about. Yeah, last summer, just as, as we get into this, this crucial time of needing to meet various deadlines, uh, we started working with, with Mongoose Energy, uh, who you may know of. So Mongoose Energy are a, a spin-off from uh, Bath and West Community Energy, who uh, in some ways are the most successful energy corp in the, in the country in terms of the, the number of projects they've done and the, the size and the speed. Mm. Uh, and they, they've started to help other groups across the country to do similar type projects and they took that one one stage further by actually setting up a, a sort of a, yeah a, a proper standalone company that, that could help groups across the country to scale up and they provide the services that the local group might not have of themselves so and and, it, and it's like a, a turnkey service really so they will help find a project help finance it project manage it whatever you the, the local group doesn't have mongoose can provide and the way it works is that there's no sort of financial risk for the community group and any any project cost that that you pass on to or sorry like project management fees that you pass on to mongoose that's only done at the end of the project when it's all built out and all the risk has been taken care of so it's it's fantastic because it's it's just giving groups across the country who've got enthusiasm and ideas, it's giving them pretty much a complete support package that you can go to Mongoose and say, "Yes, I'd like to. I'd like to work. We've got an idea here. Can you help us?" And, and Mongoose, you know, can provide as much or as little as is needed. Uh, so that, yeah, that that came at a quite critical time for us. So we, they they brought one of the projects to us, and they helped us very much develop one of the other projects. Just a very final thing, you know, the, 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 the theme that we're looking at this month on the website is about renewal. You know, does it feel like a time with, with what you're doing and with other things going on, does it feel like a time of renewal in Bristol to you? Does it feel like those things are, are, are part of a bigger story? Uh, for me, it's not so much what's happening in Bristol. It's, it's what's happening post-Paris. I'm just quite blown over really by by the response post paris not not of the government but of uh, <laughs> get that caveat in quickly <laughs> i'm just fascinated to see I get, I get a daily update on on this sort of stuff and the number of businesses that now are just saying we're going for it you know and, and almost like independent of what the government is saying they, they they're making commitments now to to get to zero carbon by a certain date and there are lots of different coalitions setting up, whether it's around a particular sector or around a particular interest group. And it's, 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 it's 
so cross-sector and it's linking so many people up that it's all going to happen whether or not the government decides to help or not. And that, for me, is, is fantastic. And, and the, the beauty of it is that you know, that's, not, that's not just in Bristol, that's, that's, that's mm. across the board and, and, and across the world. It, it, it's so nice to see, to see the fact that you know, this, this Paris Agreement, which has to sort of go through various stages before it's actually formally adopted, people are expecting it to actually be fully signed off in, say, 2017 or 18. But now it looks like it probably will actually be done by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And to see that sort of stuff happening, I just find fantastic. Mm. And mainstream figures like Mark Carney, you know, being very clear on how they see the, the business and the financial future, I think it's helping fuel what you just said, Andy. Yeah. 